Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Mark Smith and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. This week on The Exchange, we return to RA's London office for a live recording of the second edition of Full Circle, RA's series of talks celebrating women in music. This time around, Martha Pazienti Caden speaks with Andrea Magdalena, the founder of She Said So. Since launching in 2014, She Said So has grown into an international network for women working in the music industry. Its 15 global chapters, located everywhere from Mumbai to LA, include well over 10,000 members who collaborate on strategies for promoting gender equality in their local music communities and workplaces. Over the next 40 minutes, we get to know Magdalena's story and how she grew She Said So from a grassroots level to an international concern. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The Exchange with Andrea Magdalena is up next. resident advisor my name is Martha and this is full circle we are celebrating women in music this is our second one thank you everyone for coming um, Andrea's here and we're gonna spend some time getting to know her so should we start in the beginning let's do, let's it. do it actually before we get into that should we start by saying what is she said so Yes. Well, actually, before I jump into that disclaimer, I haven't really slept well th- these past couple of days. I only got here from L.A. yesterday. So if I'm not making sense at any point, please blame it on the jet lag. <laughs> My name is Andrea Magdalena. I'm uh, from Romania and I'm the, so- the founder of She Said So. She Said So is a network of women who work in the music industry that started out here in London. And in the meantime, it turned into a global community. We have 15 active chapters around the world, 15 or 16 now. Um, Vienna is on its way. Turkey, Istanbul actually is the latest one that we launched in, in March, uh, but also including Mumbai, South Africa, LA, New York, uh, the Bay Area, a lot of European uh, countries slash cities. So we have a really big community in France and in Spain and in and, and Berlin. Some of them are cities, some of them are more you know nationwide kind of communities. Yeah, that's uh, we've been around since the end of 2014. At that time, I was working at a music streaming service called Mixcloud, and. I noticed that both industries were struggling with diversity, so I decided to do something about it. <clears throat> and that's how She Said So came about. It started off by bringing together you know, 10 women that I knew in the industry at the time, and then we hosted an event and it just went bonkers from there. 
but that's that's she said so in a nutshell mm. would you tell me a bit more about the kind of climate of the music industry in 2014 when you started and what were your kind of motivations for starting she said so well, I can definitely say the diversity conversation wasn't really a conversation in the first place. Um, and that's why I was making a point of saying that I was working at the intersection of tech and music because at that time I noticed that the tech industry was at least acknowledging that this was a problem in the first place and was you know, actively trying to find solutions. Or at the very least, people were talking about it. Whereas in music, it was... I don't know, it was either not spoken about or it was very hush-hush or it was in very small circles of women who were sharing this um, amongst each other. Um, you know, no one really dared to say something officially because at that time, I'm sure your career would have been in danger. You know, you would have been the complainer or uh, you should be grateful for having this opportunity in the first place. That was the typical answer. I, there was a lot of knocking on doors when I when I started and just like reaching out to people, reaching out to women in the first place. And what I noticed at that time was that this sisterhood, this sense of sisterhood wasn't really strong. At least I wasn't experiencing it in, in, my, uh, in my scene, in my community. And one of the theories was that women have always been pitted against each other. There was only one seat at the table, so then you would have to work really hard and maybe um, <clears throat> step over some folks in order to get there. Um, you know, and, and, and that's wrong, that's not true. There, there, there are seats at the table. Uh, there are many tables out there for everyone to, to be a part of. And um, that's what we've been working on in the past four years to continue raising awareness about this uh, and about the fact that diversity is good for everyone. Uh, of course, focusing on women, because that was my experience, direct experience, but I, I, I like to think that what we do, as she, uh, she said so, generally you know, helps out a lot of other communities as well that are perhaps less represented or marginalized. Okay, and we're going to get into She Said So's journey and kind of where you're at today soon, but let's talk a bit about you and your background. So we know that you worked in the intersection between music and tech, but let's talk about your relationship to music from an early age. You know what? I never thought I'm going to end up in music. Uh, I was always a fan. I never studied music. I'm not a creative in that sense or a creator. Uh, I don't play any instruments, and it's one of my biggest regrets, actually. But I was, I was always, um, I always had this entrepreneurial spirit, and with a creative kind of angle to it. And I was very passionate about culture and about doing something meaningful. Uh, but at the same time, that's pretty, you know, future forward, and hence the whole technology angle. Yeah, and I, you know, I come from a very small city in Romania. <laughs> It, where nothing happens, but we did give birth to Nadia Comaneci, who's probably Romania's uh, fa favorite, you know, po poster daughter. She actually she went to school with my mom. <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know, she's like a was a big gymnast in in the 80s. She scored a perfect score at the Olympics, and in the meantime became the coach of the American gym, gymnastics team. Uh, anyway, that's a big <laughs> side note. <laughs> Sorry about that. This is me wearing my Romanian flag. Um, it's something that I've actually been doing a lot more of recently. And I think part of it is caused by the fact that I transitioned from London to LA. 
in London as a Romanian at the beginning of my journey here um, I I think I was faced with a lot of uh, light discrimination as an Eastern European you know like oh you're from Romania oh okay so you must be a babysitter or you know stripper or something along those lines little did I know that I wasn't uh, and, and when I moved to LA Romania oh my god that's so exotic I don't even know where it is on the map <laughs> But I think I like you. You made it all the way here, so you're, you're cool. I'm going to be your friend. Um, yeah, so that kind of determined me to create more awareness about my roots and, um, and, and Romania in general. Because, you know, being here at RA, we have a pretty cool electronic music scene that I think deserves to be spoken of more. Um, and just a lovely, you know, cultural heritage overall. But yeah, I, my, I was a nerd, pretty much, uh, from a very young age. I still am a dork. <laughs> and um, yeah, I was just good at maths and physics and stuff. And for whatever reason, when I was supposed to apply to law school, I changed my mind a month before and decided to come to university in London instead. And I didn't really know what to do if I wasn't going to become a lawyer or, or judge. Actually, that was my intention. And I was like, oh, I'll do media, journalism. Um, and yeah, it was really easy. Uh, and ended up uh, working with startups, actually, at the time when startups weren't really a thing in London either. This, you know, Old Street was just Tech Hub, which was this first co-working space in East London and nothing else. And in the meantime, it became, you know, the hub of, I suppose, the startup scene in, in London. So again, I was at the, this interesting intersection between technology and music and continued going, you know, raving basically was my official uh, route into music. I started taking photos at raves, basically warehouse parties. Here in Old Street, actually, there were a lot of them taking place here. I remember it was, I was quite scared walking around the neighborhood. That's definitely not the case anymore. And I started taking photos and the promoters were like, oh, yeah, uh, you should just come and uh, take photos uh, for us. We'll let you in for free. You can have free drinks. And it was a way for me to get it for free into parties. And it slowly, slowly cascaded into uh, just developing a more official taste for uh, and we're entertaining this idea of working in, in music and Mixcloud were the first ones to give me this opportunity and I'm very grateful to them for that and since then my journey has pretty much been in the same space uh, music and tech. Okay so what were you doing at Mixcloud? They hired me as the community manager uh, and I think I was employee number six or something. So we were all very tight, uh, very close with, with the founders. Um, and it also meant that we were all doing the jobs of five people at the same time. Uh, but it was great because I was learning so much. I was so hungry and to absorb this information. Music was a new thing for me. And they needed this person too. You know, someone who's hungry doesn't really have the background of all the, you know, relationships, music industry relationships. And she's just like keen to put herself out there and reach out to people and not being afraid of rejection. And that's what I was doing, developing those relationships and uh, supporting creators on Mixcloud who, you know, needed to grow their channel and kind of giving them best tips. And it slowly kind of turned into more of what 
I'm doing now with She Said So uh, towards the end of my tenure there. So building partnerships with them or between them and other partners in, in music and organizing events that were kind of uh, putting us uh, in, in the cultural kind of spectrum, at, at least in terms of London and the tech scene and the music scene. So fast forward, She Said So is now your job. <laughs> Can you sense the anxiety? I actually quit my job, uh, my full-time job, uh, a month ago to focus on She Said So for the rest of the year, at least. Hopefully that means I can turn it around into a sustainable business. It's not easy because I'm sure you all know there's no money in music. And if you do uh, end up finding your sweet spot, your financial sweet spot, it's either after years and years of hard work or maybe in some cases you compromise to make things a little more commercial and wide appealing. Uh, and so we want to stay true to our mission, as she said so. That's the most important thing for, for me personally. And so balancing that with um, profitability as, as an organization that is, you know, culture forward. Uh, we, we, I started it as a passion because I wanted to make an impact, not because I wanted to make millions, you know. So the mindset is very, very different. So now I'm starting to learn more about how I can utilize what, what we built in the past four years and actually make a living out of it. And, and I don't want to say set an example because there's so many incredible companies who do that very well. They are profitable and they are also um, ethical, I suppose. Uh, like Kickstarter, for example, they managed to find a sweet spot as a, a B Corp, it's called. It's somewhere between a charity and, and a full profit business. And that's how I see, she said, so in this interesting space, I don't want us to be a charity because I think it puts us in that, in that box and people automatically... You know, ah, female empowerment, it's a charitable thing. No, it's not a charitable freaking thing. It's something that it, it should be part of our financial ecosystem. Us women should be part of the money talk, you know, the boardroom and so on. So it's you're not doing this for charity. This is uh, only what's right and natural. And I, at IMS next week, I'm going to give a speech about how we all win. The future of feminism is male. And if... If everyone employs a diverse team, there are studies that show your company will then be more likely to generate more profits, better performance, better productivity levels. So everyone wins, you know. But for whatever reason, we have to still uh, do the convincing. Mm. How would you say She Said So has affected or changed your personal career path? Oh, a lot. I wouldn't, I would probably, who knows, actually. <laughs> it, the funny thing is, I was always a tomboy, and I never had this interest in um, women's rights, particularly. And it was only until I got uh, uh, my job at Mixcloud, and I started facing this, this, these issues myself, um, that I realized it, it's just not right. Not to mention that I think I really needed to root my work in something that was meaningful and that had a, a, an impact, a positive impact. And ever since um, I, I started manifesting that with She Said So, it's taken me to places and it's enabled me to meet people and form relationships, beautiful, authentic relationships with incredibly inspiring people that I probably wouldn't have had the chance to meet 
without it. Okay, let's break down what she said so actually is. So you've got the mentoring program at the moment and regular meetups, and then there's the kind of online community. So what does she said so look like to a member? Good question, because it is still very confusing, and that's because we don't have the right product to house our community yet, and that's going to be one of my next focuses. But to backtrack a little, um, so we, she said so started as a Google group where I brought together these 10 women that I knew, and then they told two of their friends and so on, the word spread. Um, and then we hosted our first event, which was a panel uh, where we invited a bunch of senior women who have been around. And it was the most incredible experience we, we've had at that time. That's when I realized, damn, we're onto something here. The energy in that room was so, so explosive. And it made us realize that this is a shared experience. It's not, we're not, you know, I'm not crazy. I'm not just um, uh, acting out. This is a real problem, a real challenge that most women um, face. And I lost my train of thoughts. What was your initial, uh, what she said so it looks like. Okay, so it started as the Google group and it still exists in the Google group, which uh, houses around 3,000 women now. And these are women from all over the world. Then we have 15 or 16 global chapters around the world. And each chapter either has its own Google group or a Facebook group or a mailing list or some sort of other channel that the community lives on. And you can be a part of the global chapter, the global community, or you can be part of your local chapter. For example, I was mentioning France. Um, they only speak in French. All of their activities are very focused on the French market. So it doesn't make, you know, they doesn't make sense for them to be part of the global conversation unless their work specifically has something to do internationally. So each chapter operates in its own way, but people can be a part of either or both. And each chapter is organizing their own events. And we also have global events that are driven mostly by me. And I have a team of, of people who are helping me out as well. So partnerships like IMS next, uh, next week and uh, others along, uh, along these lines are, are driven by, I suppose, global. We call it, she said so, global. Yeah, and mentoring has become a really important thing for us. We launched our mentoring program, She Grows, um, last year or two years ago. And it's the concept was put together by two She Said So members here in London, Harriet Moss, who is, um, she works in uh, at this publishing company called Manners McDade, and she's in sync and TV, that's her world. And then her counterpart, Holly Manners, she is an A&R at um, Warner now. She wasn't an A&R then, but um, yeah, they are, did such a fantastic job coming with the concept uh, of peer-to-peer -peer mentoring and simply pairing women with more experience in one area with women with less experience. And it's been fantastic. It's, it's really wonderful. It's a very powerful tool um, because we were talking about creating awareness about, about female empowerment and diversity in general. We're now in the stage of let's uh, come up with practical solutions. We're past the awareness stage. What can we actually do to make a change? Um, so the mentoring program is one of them. And uh, another big project that we have is with the British Council. I always like to talk about it because 
It's um, targeted at women in sound in Brazil. And Brazil is a crazy place where women have very few rights um, at a at a you know systemic level, let alone industry access and all of that stuff. Jesus. So being able to impact women in those situations um, or in those type of circumstances is you know it just gives me goosebumps. That's how you know you're you're making a real change. Um, and it's a three-year-long program that is based on this mentoring concept. And we have a partner in Brazil and the British Council here who um, together we have designed um, this program that takes place across three years. And every year we're, we're selecting 50 different participants, all women in sound. So that can be music producers, sound engineers, composers, podcasters, radio people, variety. Um, and with the aim of getting more women um, in, in those jobs and equipping them with the skills so that they can then get those jobs. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's, it's a really powerful project that I hope to bring to life with other partners in other um, countries that are in a similar situation because I feel like that's exactly where these things are needed most. And when She Said So was first kind of getting established, how were you received by the music industry? I I think at the beginning, people maybe didn't care as much. Um, even in some of my outreach to some women, you know, I got I got a lot of rejection. And that's completely understandable. On, on one hand, there are some women who don't identify with this challenge or they don't necessarily feel like they need to be part of, of or vocal about this. And that's absolutely fine. No problem. And then there um, there were women who were scared of being vocal because they felt like they're going to lose their job or as an artist, you're going to be, you know, the female artist instead of people looking at you as an artist, period. You don't want to have that stamp or you don't want your gender to dictate your, your career in that sense. So there was a lot of convincing um, knocking on a lot of people's doors and uh, generally the, the, the response was positive because it got us here. Um, but I have to say there was a lot more um, selling <laughs> to, do, to do at the beginning and I think now everyone's kind of on board with it. And my next focus, at least people who are already engaged with this kind of activities. And, and now my next goal is to engage the men who are maybe on the other side of the fence, uh, who may be feeling like, oh, it's such a great time to be a woman now. Um, thing, opportunities are being taken away from me because of that. Or I'm scared to say anything now because it's just going to fire back. Uh, what if I say something wrong and it's going to fire back on social media? So there's a lot of fear and a lot of weirdness, I think, the relationship in, in this relationship between um, men and women. And I'm generalizing here, of course. Uh, so I think there's a lot of work to be done to convince those men who are on the other side of the fence that this is, you know, we're not in conflict. Um, we're, we're all striving for the same things, especially in music where everything is so driven by passion, you know. Otherwise, we wouldn't be dealing with this crap all the time. Um, I know it feels like we've achieved so much and it's such a good time to be a woman, 
But in reality, not much has changed. We're still not getting equally paid. We're still not getting promoted to the top roles. We're still not getting investment for our companies. We're still not being listened to. We're still being groped. You know, all of these things are still happening. And yeah, there's a lot of press and attention, but we there's a lot more work to do, basically. Mm. What was the first moment that you had when you felt like you were kind of really achieving something at She Said So? What was like a special moment or a moment of realization? I, it's, I have to say it's that event uh, that I mentioned, the first ever event uh, that we did with, with She Said So. When those women started sharing their stories, we had our very own Me Too moment in that room. You know, maybe there were 30 or 50 of us. And it just, I, I cannot explain it. You know, when you're on the dance floor and it just feels freaking great, you feel like everything is incredible. You're connecting with others, you're connecting with the music, you're connecting with yourself. That's how we felt that day and it motivated us to continue doing that and it also gave us an idea that hold on actually we're on to something big here yeah that was that was really special and now that you're established what are your aspirations and goals for she said so moving forward well i don't know if i'm established like that <laughs> but we've definitely made progress and uh, i'm really grateful for for you know people like Nick and Amy here at RA supporting and creating more visibility for what we do because um, that that's all there is really and it, that, and that's all all we are about collaboration and supporting each other and just being nice to each other you know we're not asking I was telling someone earlier we're not asking for favors here you're um, and I, I like to quote um, I can't remember her name, but she is one of the very first feminists in the States from like the 19th century. And she's being quoted in this new documentary about um, RBG or notorious RBG. She's like a famous uh, judge in New York. She's still alive, a US attorney who is basically kicked ass. And because of her, some of the lawsuits that she's carried um, a lot of policy has been has changed in the states in favor of women, and without her doing that uh, at that level in American politics, I don't, you know, I think America would be even worse than it is today, and it's doing pretty poorly as it is. What's the quote? Uh, the quote is, uh, "Dear brethren, I do not ask any favors of you. I only ask that you take your uh, feet off my neck." That's, you know, it just feels like we're being held down. That's, that's the feeling that I've always had. And why, why, am, I, why am I being pushed down, you know? So um, we're, we're, we're now trying to take those feet off, off our necks and create allies in men, you know, because that's how I personally see it. And that's why I always make a, a, an effort of, clarifying that she said so yes we are a women's only group I suppose because we kind of had to team up and create our own little gang right we never had the private golf clubs and those kind of spaces or the strip clubs where apparently guys do business so we had to create our own little club by doing that we're not trying to put ourselves in opposition but we had to do it to help each other out like that be become stronger and now it's a case of clarifying that 
uh, we're, we're all on the same page. We all want the same thing and let's work together uh, respectfully and uh, equally. Mm. And in your opinion, what can the RA readers and listeners do to contribute to equality on the dance floor for electronic music? So much. I mean, if you're at a party and you see something wrong, you know, say something or do something about it. If you see some, some dude groping uh, a woman, and if you're a guy, especially if you're a guy, go and call him out, you know, because if a girl's going to do that, then nothing's going to change. But if men call each other out like that, that's an easy way to become our ally and, and, and help someone who might be having a really bad time because of that. M music being such a personal experience and having such a huge effect on culture, on people, on psychology and, and e the economy, really, every small experience can make the biggest difference in your life. And if you're a woman and you maybe took drugs for the first time or someone spiked your drink or something like that, and that is your experience your music experience defined by those circumstances, then uh, it just it defeats the whole purpose of, of bringing music communities together, bringing people together on the dance floor. You know, we can also touch on this idea that um, dance music was built by black and brown communities, primarily gay, who did that because they weren't feeling safe anywhere else. So they created their own space, they created their own music genre, um, where they felt inclus included and safe uh, and represented. And now electronic music has become such a commercial uh, phenomena that few can afford in, in many cases. Um, you know, it's, we have a responsibility to make sure that we give back to those communities and that those communities are part of this new financial ecosystem that was built around it. And if you, as a promoter or as a listener, um, whatever position you're in, if you're able to support those communities by going to their shows as opposed to going to, I don't even know what's, does London have a super club? I don't even know. But, um, you know, instead of going to Ibiza, maybe spending 100 euros to get into amnesia, go to, I don't know, some, like, where, whatever. You know, support your local community, support independent um, folks uh, on social media. I mean, oh, my God, so it's kind of scary to go on social media now and read through the, the comments, the comment sections on all sorts of Facebook posts. And people have a lot of time on their hands. To get, if they use that time to actually do something, you know, it was, oh, let's not even go there. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I suppose I personally prefer to stay away from engaging in social media uh, uh, battles like that, and, and which she said so too. You know, we don't really engage in calling people out unless it's a dire uh, situation that absolutely needs to be called out. We typically don't do that. Our approach is focusing on positivity and solutions and like how can we work together to prevent that from happening again if something bad happened but in some cases it, you know if, if you see something that's terribly terribly wrong call it out on social media as well I suppose and buy music from people who care you know there's um, every every little thing that you do can have a really big impact and so don't you know I, I think have the confidence that you're making a real 
change, even if the only thing that you're doing is, you know, like calling that guy out for touching someone's boob on the side. That in itself is already a huge contribution that you've just made. And what do you want to see music industry heads or people in positions of power doing to fuel our next steps towards equality? First off, hire more diverse people. If you're in a position of power and you can either hire someone or help someone out or invest in someone's business or book someone at your event, you know, use that position of power and influence to... Uh, give that opportunity to someone who maybe hasn't had the chance or look around you and you see, okay, what, what, I feel like something's missing. You know, is it a, a case of from a gender perspective or is it a case of age, um, disability, race, sexual identity? You know, if you feel like those people aren't represented in your community or in your workspace, call it out and if you are not in that position of power then but you have some sort of influence on someone who does then you know you it's almost like you have a moral responsibility to use that privilege that you have to support someone who doesn't because we all know the way we got to this place uh, where some people are more privileged than others was through pretty freaking ruthless, you know, um, methods, right? People got rooted out of their countries and sold to uh, slave owners, you know. I mean, it's 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 ridiculous. And thankfully, these situations uh, don't exist anymore. At least not these extreme cases. But we're now in in a time where we're very much in the thick of the repercussions of that, you know, of what our, you know, ancestors did. So we have the responsibility to fix that, to redress it. And every little opportunity you have to do it, use it. My final question for Andrea, which is, um, are there any organizations that are on a kind of similar wave to you guys that are popping up right now that you feel inspired by? Yeah, absolutely. There are so many, actually, that um, are are popping up all over the world, and the most, some of the most inspiring ones are in those emerging—I don't want to say emerging markets, but in those markets that maybe have a more str a struggling economy, or maybe where the industry isn't as developed, you know, and everything is is very DIY, and all you have is yourself and your computer. Um, maybe not even that in some cases, you know. Uh, I obviously there's this woman in New York who I think they're doing a fantastic job. Um, there's quite a few actually in the in the states that popped up um, in the past two years. There's uh, this one called where she is the music that's actually spearheaded by someone at Universal and Alicia Keys, um, Spotify and. Women's Audio Mission or someone uh, someone similar like that. They launched this website where uh, you can look through a database of women in sound. You know, if you because uh, a lot of what people say is, oh yeah, I really wanted to hire a woman, but there's no women who do this. Well, that's not true. Yes, it does take a little more effort to find them, but they are there, and and you should be making that effort to to get them on board with your company or project or or whatever it is. Yeah, there's the Women's Audio Mission in San Francisco, which is focused on women in sound, engineers and producers and so on. And they're absolutely lovely. 
There's another one called the 90, no, the 9%. Uh, actually, a lot of them are now focused on this more technical side. Uh, and I remember having this conversation two years ago when we were saying focus on the technical roles and the senior roles because that's where we're lacking women um, or representation of other uh, uh, marginalized communities. And it, it's happened. Like people, you know, um, were galvanized and got motivated and they started either similar groups or even if it's just one event that you're hosting, uh, maybe you're a company who does events, you know, maybe you're doing um, a live exchange of your own. Make sure that you you reach out to these women and you get them in, engaged. Or not just women, just any type of underrepresented community. Um, and yeah, the nine the 9% nine is one of them. It started by this wo young woman, track girl, who is a, a producer, up-and-coming producer now, who is... Uh, yeah, she's working on some really dope stuff and really big artists off the back of initiating this collective where she wanted to support other female producers, get them in the studio, give them opportunities to work with established artists and um, grow that. You know how majors have that tight little group of people that they always work with, right? That's why... Uh, most pop music ends up sounding the same because it's the same people really doing it. Um, so it's it's changing. It is changing, but it, it's it's taking a while, um, and and that's natural. And we just have to keep doing it, you know. Whereas I feel like now we're at a stage where people are like, oh, but there's so much of that going on, you know. As I said earlier, yes, there is. But it's still going to take a while before all of these initiatives turned into real change, you know, where like the laws are being changed, the policies, the, there's code of conduct, there, conduct, there's real change on paper that you can hold people accountable to, um, as opposed to just, you know, talking about it. Andrea, thank you so much for sharing thank with you, us. Thank you, Martha.